Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is April the 15th, 2020, generally on or about tax day. Tax day this year, of course, is July 15th. Because of the pandemic 2020, they moved up the day that you have to file your taxes um, we're filing a little bit late this year ourselves because we're, there's just a lot of other things to be doing other than getting the final paperwork ready for the government. Uh, probably should have filed a little bit faster though because they're going to owe me money once again this year because we manage our finances well. But that's just a good thing for people to know that you get a little longer to pay the man any extra money you owe him without interest and penalties if you, unless you would have otherwise not had them is the only uh, key there. If you would have otherwise had to pay a penalty by uh, the 15th of this month, you will still have to pay that penalty in July. A little side note there. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? Instead of giving the government money, we're going to talk about making money as an entrepreneur, which is a great way to keep more of the money that you do make uh, when it comes to taxes. And it's also a great way to make money independent of what someone else says you have to do. There are rules of business and laws of life, and in business you have to follow them or you will not prosper. But you are free to pick exactly how you follow them and, and what schedule you set and things like that. And you don't have somebody else telling you when you can take a vacation. You don't tell anybody else telling you when you have to work and when you can get off. And you have independence and autonomy. And boy, that's a pretty good place to be right now. I can promise you that. And we're going to be talking about it with a guy that's been on the show before. His name is Daniel Allen. If you have a good memory, uh, you might think back and remember that Daniel was on the air with us a long time ago. And we talked about Air Creek construction. Uh, how to build a house very, very affordably that's almost indestructible and highly insulated using a technique called aircrete. He's taken that and many other things that he's put together over the years of listening to the show. He's been listening since the time, back to the time I was in the Jetta. So he's a long-term listener and long-term community member of TSP. And he's built a variety of e-courses that he sells on his website. And uh, he's going to be on to talk to us about that today. But not this is a, a real servant to the community type of interview. It's the kind of interview I love. You won't hear much about what he does himself as far as what he sells until the very end. You're going to hear the process by which you can do it no matter what it is you want to sell and how you can develop that. And we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do, let's start out with a quote of the day today. This is about being successful. And I would say this is in the world of business and the world of life in general that this quote makes sense from David Brinkley. He said, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. In other words, the things that other people throw at you, you're actually able to use those to build a successful foundation in your life. And I think that that can be true when it is the way that, that David Brinkley was talking about here, where it really is the slings and arrows hurled at you by other people. But I think if you really want to be successful, you have to broaden that. That's just an easy one to understand because we've all had things hurled at us by other people. But the, the thing that throws the most at you and the most curveballs and the most beam balls is life itself. It's not always directly connected to another individual. It can be that you put your garden in and the day after you got everything, all the plants set out that you worked so hard on to get set out, a hailstorm hits you. Now you can take that and say this year's ruined. You can replant and be late. 
Or, if you've already been through it or already had the forethought about it, you can have more plants ready to go that you don't give away or sell to others until you get through that part of the season. Or maybe you figured out a way to take some of your, your crops and put them in, I don't know, something like an aviary in wicking beds like I do. I did that because it made sense. I also did that because I've had my plants torn up by hail before. If you can take the slings and arrows hurled at you by life and or people and use them to build your foundation, whether it be a foundation that you're specifically using or a foundation that it becomes immune or resistant to those things in the future, you can truly have success. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in the world of online business. You have to do the same thing. Trust me, if you're going to go into content creation, you better get your thin pretty thick pretty fast. The criticisms that, that I have taken since I started this show, some valid and many completely just divorced from reality, are such that if you knew them, you might actually worry about me. I don't really care. Sometimes I point them out once in a while to have fun with them or to mock the person from which they're coming. But all I do is take a look at, over the years, all of the success stories that come out of this audience, and the snipers just don't seem to be very important And that's motivated me to long-term continue to produce content. That is taking what others have thrown at me and using it to build a foundation. And we're going to be talking about that and a lot of other things with our special guest today. Again, um, his name is Daniel Allen. Uh, his area of expertise is construction, lifestyle design, changing your, your life for the better and being able to deal with the things that come along with that. Air Creek Construction and more. And again, he's been a listener since the days of the Jetta. With that, hey, Daniel, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Thanks a lot. It's good to be here. If I remember right, we had you on quite a while about, we talked about uh, Air Creek. That's right. right. That's what I That's thought, yeah. I mean, my memory ain't what it used to be, but it's still decent, I guess. Um, that was a while ago. Uh, I bet there's some people listening that, that uh, didn't hear that show. So they probably don't know who the heck you are. So can we start out with, before we get into today's topic, which is going to be starting an e-course business? Um, just kind of give people a background. Who, who the heck is Daniel? Like, take us back to like you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and how you end up where you are. Well, as you say, it's a very crooked road. We went, uh, did the conventional life thing and uh, enjoyed a nice layoff in the Great Recession and Moved on forward to uh, start doing my own business, creating my own value, you know, some stability and not depending upon uh, other, uh, you know, jobs and other people's permission to make money. And uh, in the process of uh, learning things, I discovered Aircrete, which we talked about in another episode. And I started teaching people how to build their own houses for $26 a square foot or so. And, uh, of course, you know, we... Uh, Ran across you back in the Jetta days, and you know, I've always kind of been a little bit of a uh, prepper and survivalist and outdoor type person. So uh, it's just really nice to uh, look back and see that maybe this crazy, windy journey actually had a purpose. Uh, it started with confusion and ended with uh, a purpose, I suppose. Awesome, man. So um, you know me. I'm big on entrepreneurship. I'm big on the freedom that comes with having an income source that's independent of what someone else tells you you have to do. Um, there's a lot of ways to do that, especially in the digital age. Uh, with content creation, one way or another would be a, a great one. Uh, an e-course is certainly in that realm. It's a content creation type of product. Um, but when we look at something 
that is in an industry that's a $280 billion industry, that's what a lot of people say, well, that's really, really a competitive space if it's that big. What, what made you settle on the industry you did? What industry is it? And what made you maybe shoot at something that big? Well, it actually started uh, attending some workshops and, you know, other people that went with me, they attended and they're trying to learn how to build their homes. And, you know, I've had 30 years of real world experience, but um, when people were done with their courses, they were asking, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? They, they didn't understand how to actually get it done. So I started helping them learn and understand the process. And then I realized there's so much missing and it just kind of evolved into a business. I mean, I really wasn't looking for this one per se, but then it just dawned on me after, you know, going down the YouTube rabbit hole that you, you actually can make a living without working hard. You know, I was raised work hard, uh, earn a living, you know, put it, pay your dues. And so it was a paradigm shift to realize that it's possible to help people bring value and make money at the same time uh, without the physical work and through an online business, because after all, um, we kind of are leaving the industrial age and, and we're in the information age. Yeah, and I think one of the things that people do is they maybe shy away from large sectors, and I think that's maybe foolish because in the end, all content businesses online today, especially when it's a small-time person like you or myself, and no matter how big we get compared to something like, you know, uh, Lockheed Martin or something of that size, right? We're tiny. Uh, or a Walmart or an Amazon, we're tiny. But so everything we do is a niche. And whatever that niche is of is then to be a reflection of that market. So it honestly makes a lot of sense to niche out a place within a massive market, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at the weight loss industry. And I'm going to use an example. It's not mine, it's from a course I took, but. You know, look at weight loss. It's this massive behemoth of confusion and stuff out there. Well, you know, you start doing searches and you realize that there's a whole bunch of people not just looking for weight loss, but they're looking for weight loss over 40 years old or how to lose belly fat over 40. Mm -hmm. So that's an example how you can find a niche in a very large market, but something that's not being served. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast. I don't remember what it was. It's one of the ones on business. And they had this gal on, and she had become incredibly successful using Instagram. And she was developing, you know, you mentioned weight loss, more of a fitness routine type thing. But she was developing fitness routines for women that were petite. Uh, not necessarily skinny, but small. And, and they had kind of tied that into clothing and everything else. Because apparently if you're, you know, a five-foot tall chick, it's hard to find clothes that fit you that aren't in the girls' section. And it, like, exercises are different and things like that. I don't really understand that because I'm not a five foot tall female, but that was an example of a niche like you would, you, you would never even think of. And when they asked her, well, how'd you think of the niche? She just said, well, it's me. It wasn't like she went out and like whiteboarded out, like, I'm going to go into this niche because blah, blah, blah. She did what she was. And it was so genuine that it worked. And she had built a lot of success in a market again, fitness, Fashion, you're talking about, you know, billion dollar markets, multi billion dollar markets. If he would say that's too big for you to break into, well, she just did it because no one told her it was too hard. Precisely. You know, it's about finding your uh, unfair advantage, if you will. It's often centered around what you already do. You know, it, it could involve creating some new content or finding something you like to do. 
Um, but almost everybody has something that they've done. Uh, and if you have a need for it, there's a very good chance a lot of other people are also going to have a need for it. Absolutely. And then you're never talking out of your ass because you know what you're talking about. That's the other side of it. When we do this, though, we've got to look at, you know, I've often said that you you do have to spend some money if you want to make money. So if you're going to put together a digital education product, talk to us through, like, some of the concepts of the startup cost of doing that. What's the investment look like? Well, first of all, that depends on if you're going to be the do-it-yourself guy uh, and get things started or if you're going to pay a web development team to do it. But as I heard you say, you know, you could program your own web page, but, you know, at the same time, you can just throw WordPress down and get it done. So mm -hmm. you, you start with your, uh, you know, 14 plus dollar uh, name on a, a website. You set up all your social media stuff like YouTube. That's all free. And then on the website specifically, if you're going to do an education system, then I know there's a lot of products out there, but I found something called Thrive Themes that allows you to visually uh, create your own Thrive Theme in addition to visually edit your pages. And they have a digital online course marketing uh, plug-in that allows you to serve your own industry without using something like Udemy, which charges, like, for example, um, there's a course for $100 I have on there, and I get $24.22 out of that $100 charge. So they get the bulk of it, and it's still up to you to promote it. So when you can move that onto your own platform and you spend, you know, probably $350 on this little suit of software, then you can host it yourself and you don't have an ongoing monthly expense that you might have and all of the profit is yours. So, you know, you may choose to buy some artwork. You may choose, you know, like you go out to Fiverr, things that you can't do yourself. You can get done really cheaply. Uh, you can get images, music, videos made for you. Um, you know, so the basic startup expense is actually, I would say, about $500. And then it's just a matter of ocean. And that's where... If you're not careful, you could spend the bulk of your money if you're just doing ad spend because most of these companies, that's what they're doing. They're making money off ads, so they just try to make you spend constantly on everything. And so in that is a necessity to really, really focus on the language of your niche and the people you're trying to reach and to do some research. And then, of course, to that end, there's a way to start uh, a startup business instantly within days Try it out and see if there's a response to it and then take the response you do get and really ask these people questions and drill down to get the language and the need. And then, of course, if there's no response to it, uh, you can walk away from it having not spent a great deal of money. You know, you've got a, a really good point there, and it makes me think back to one of the best books that I've ever read, even though a lot of it is not going to ever work the way that the guy claimed it would, and that's uh, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And one of the things he says in there, probably the most valuable marketing tip he gives in there, is using something like Google AdWords or Google AdSense AdWords uh, to advertise a product that you haven't even developed yet. And basically exactly. write, write reasonable copy, reasonable sales copy, as though the product exists, point the ad at it, and then when somebody tries to buy it, say, uh, we have a shortage or whatever BS excuse you come up, click here to be on a waiting list. And run that for, you know, a week – and then shut it off. And then you have real world, like, this would have been my sales conversion, or at least some factor of my sales conversion. And if that number is zero, 
you need to redefine your product, your marketing, et cetera, before you spend money to develop it. And I'm not going to say that's always the way to go, but that is always the way to think. It really is. Um, there's a lady on YouTube who teaches people to write books, for example, and they do basically the same thing, except they sell the book before it's even written. They're actually taking the money, and there's just a delay for release, and, or it's scheduled like, you know, starting such and such date, we're going to have one chapter a week. And it's amazing how motivated a person can, bit, uh, can get when the money's already flowing. Yeah, that's that's another approach as well, and I I've definitely seen that work out for people. It's the same approach that is taken on, let's say, a Kickstarter. Except much like when you were talking about a platform to sell an e-course, you're not paying someone else to do it. You know, to basically take some of your money away from you. You know, you you just you just pre-selling on your own, and I think that's that's a good thing. But I've also seen people get in trouble with that. Like you, I think you could kind of have it started at least and know your timeline. Because people I've seen pre-sell things and then, well, maybe it doesn't actually end up created. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I believe it's better to have already done the work uh, myself. Yeah. Uh, at least have all the material outlined and sketched out where you know exactly what you're going to do. And another really, really important part of marketing is being very, very specific and clear on what it is you're offering. For example, when you're making these initial offerings and you're doing this market research, because that's what this is, it's like getting paid to do your market research. You need to specify exactly what it is you're offering, what you're, what they're going to get, and you yourself need to be clear and clear in your language so that there's not confusion that when they buy into your product, they're like, wait a minute, this isn't at all what you said. And, of course, you know, it's all a growing process. It's a learning process. But, you know, you can go to the local community college and take a course in business. And, like, for example, here, uh, this, the guy locally, he's he's never successfully run a business, so he teaches. Mm. Uh, and you could spend a lot of money doing that. Or you can get out here and just start doing it while you're working. You can do it beside your job instead of watching TV in the evenings or early in the morning before you get going. You can create this, and you can test this and find out if you've got a market or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you mentioned on spending a lot of money there, I don't. I want to kind of back up to so people kind of get this in their head. You start talking about web design, somebody else doing marketing development for you and stuff like that. People get in their head that if you spend money, uh, a lot of money, that must mean you got a good product. You can have the same website built. For $500 that another company will build for you for $5,000, another company will build for you for $15,000. Um, in my time as a consultant, one of the companies I worked for was primarily a design company, and they brought me in to basically build a marketing arm. And it was very difficult to build a marketing arm for them because, the comp because almost all their initial clients were design clients who also wanted marketing. Well, if that design client showed up, and had a $20,000 budget, guess how much that website was going to cost to build? $20,000. <laughs> Every bit. And, and, and if that guy, same guy showed up and said his budget was $10,000, I'm telling you, they would have built him the same website. It's part of why I only worked for that company for a year. You know, I got tired of basically my job being impossible with anybody that walked in the door uh, and the dishonesty. Like, cause I, I knew full, full well that guy could have shut up with seventy two hundred dollars. You'd have built him the same website. You just started twenty thousand for. Him. Yeah, and, exactly. And that's sad. And and on, it doesn't change because you contract with somebody to do it online. 
No, it really doesn't, and there's no guarantee that it's even of any quality. I've seen some really bad stuff that cost a lot of money, and I will say this. It's worth being familiar with the process, even if you don't ultimately do it. It's kind of like um, knowing how to work on your car and what the parts cost. When you go to pay someone to do it, you already kind of know what's under the hood, and at the very least, you can negotiate and say, come on, man, I know there's not that much effort in that. Uh, and then back to what you said about these people just putting the same website out, they literally do. They just have a theme, and they just, no matter how much you're paying, they just basically plug the same information into everything, and it's just kind of like a cookie-cutter approach. There's there's literally no work behind it, and just because you pay more, it truly doesn't mean you're actually getting more. And Absolutely. Same thing with, and marketing companies are very much the same way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the minute somebody says they're going to put you on top of Google or submit you to the search engines or anything like, just run, just run. Like that's that was a very effective strategy in 1999. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it really was, and I was doing it right, so I understand uh, how it worked back then. And today, that like the only thing you need to get indexed into a search engine is a link and a good site map. Like, th- th- there's so much bull out there. And I get emails all the time, and it's like, boy, I wish I had time to write this person back and tell them how stupid they are, but I don't. And just just be careful with that and focus on understanding that you're building a store and you're building a billboard at the same time, and it needs to be effective. And then your job, once you do that, is to drive traffic down the road that connects to your store. That's that's the totality of the thing on the product side, I guess, or the, the, the website side. Um, let's talk a little bit about the equipment, the software and, that you need here. And look, you kind of mentioned that already, but you kind of want to go back through it so people understand, like, what do they need or where should they go? What should they be using, in your opinion? Well, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. There's a good chance that if you're listening to this podcast, you already have the equipment for the most part. Most of us have a cell phone. And actually, for example, like a video educational product, I've seen some really good ones, and they're made just with the cell phone. Um, something like PowerDirector is now available on the cell phone, and you can edit video right there on the spot. Mm. Uh, if you have like Google Chrome and a, a Bluetooth keyboard, you can literally hook your phone up, use your TV and a keyboard, and you can create your website, you can create your content. You can even plug a mouse in, the, in, in your phone, believe it or not. So it doesn't have to take a lot, and you don't have to have the best equipment. Um, so you don't need to go out there and look on the tech channel and find out what's the best camera that costs $2,000 because you could probably use a donated cell phone for something like this. And then a step up from that, of course, would be a home computer or a laptop. And it just doesn't take a lot of power to design websites uh, or edit photos. And you're not needing a complicated website. I mean, the truth is the majority of the traffic often comes through one page. So you're just putting up a sales page, basically, a place for com- people to come and find out what you have. So if you if you have, uh, you know, again, of course, there's going to be some variation. If you're making a physical product that you want to sell, then you're going to have to deal with the logistics uh, of getting that manufactured, packaged, and shipped or putting it on uh, fulfilled by Amazon or something. Absolutely, absolutely. So two things on that that I'll give people as tips. Number one, people often think that like cell phone video is not a good enough quality for something like this. My experience with cell phone videos, much to the chagrin of a lot of my audience with walk around the property videos, is if you're moving the phone, 
because of the frame rate, there's a lot of kind of vertigo that goes on in people's brains. If you have a stationary thing like you would for an e-course in front of a cell phone video, the average cell phone today is taking video that's better than the best camera from three years ago. It just doesn't do well with kind of like the tracking of motion if you're moving the phone versus the object moving. So go nuts with it. The other thing is like doing stuff on a cell phone or a tablet or whatever. You can totally do that. And one of the things we learned when Dorothy started running Instagram for me was you can't do Instagram worth a damn from a computer. They won't let you upload. You can't um, do all your hashtags and all that stuff, right? So I was sitting there going, man, this sucks on a phone because you're sitting there pecking these little numbers. And I was like, I wonder if you can get a keyboard for an iPhone. And as I was looking up keyboards for iPhones, I'm thinking – I have a Bluetooth keyboard for my iMac that's an extra keyboard because they screwed up the first one, and when I went to get a new one, they just gave it to me and told me they didn't need the old one back, so I got two keyboards. I'm like, I wonder if a keyboard for an iMac connects to an iPhone. Guess what? It does. Yeah. So that anything you're doing on a phone or something like that, if you want a keyboard to speed up your time, you can take just about any Bluetooth keyboard that's compatible with Macintosh anyway and attached to an iPhone. I'm sure a lot of, like, Galaxy or whatever the hell the other one is does the same type, similar thing. So that's a little add-on there. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, sites like Udemy? Uh, you, you mentioned that. Um, I kind of look at them personally like I do a Kickstarter. Like, the only reason I would go to Kickstarter with a project is because I think their community might be able to help me. The problem is if all I'm doing is driving my own traffic, there's a cannibalization point where if, if I'm responsible for 90% and I could have done it without them and I only get 10% pull through and they take 7%, I've lost. So do you think there's valuable to, to, you know, value to platforms like that for the community effect or are you better off just ignoring them? Honestly, I think you're better off ignoring them. Um, I started using Udemy because I needed a place to host a bunch of videos. Um, and the truth is they take the lion's share. They take almost all of it. They don't promote your videos and everything they want to do is they want to, they really want to just drive four, five, ten and twenty dollar courses. And so if you're now, if you're just creating something you can throw out there and you want to get your one dollar off your course and it's no effort to produce, but you know, you put your heart and soul into this thing and you get a dollar back, it's just not really worth it. And it's so little effort. I mean, e even if you didn't have the money to pay, you can upload videos to YouTube and leave them um, unlisted but shareable. And then you can just use those links within your course and you can host your videos for free. And even though there could be some sharing amongst friends with that, it still basically keeps it invisible from the public. Um, and I just don't see any reason to give away the majority of your work. I mean, that's like working for an architect where, you know, you've got a, an intern that's working for nothing or, or minimum wage and they're charging $150 an hour for access. So why would you give your work away? I mean, the whole point is to maximize your efficiency and your income and be free from that. I mean, that's usually the driving motive behind a lot of this. Working from home, working from the Internet is to be free from the normal nine to five job. And, you know, so why give away all your, your effort? You know, my thing with a lot of these platforms is I don't have a problem with the concept. I have a problem with the numbers. So, like, 
why would somebody sell on Amazon? And the answer is because you will sell a shitload more if you sell a widget on Amazon than if you sell it at Mike'sWidgets.com. That's why. I don't see that happening with things like you to me. And then I see them taking a too big of a piece of the pie in return for what they're providing you. And it seems like they're basically marketing to the undereducated. I almost said stupid, but that's not the right word because they're smart enough to be in the game doing something, getting it done. But they're lacking just enough education to figure out how to host their own stuff, which if they're smart enough to make an e-course, they're smart enough to learn. They just didn't do it. Yeah, exactly. And Udemy, they, they, there's such competition. Like if there's one person that makes a course on how to make nachos, then there's going to be a thousand more of them on there. <laughs> and after that, you're still responsible for driving your own traffic, which means you've got to spend money. And like I said, with the hundred dollar course I listed on there and I'm getting less than $25, if you're paying for advertising, there's just no way that the numbers no practically work. No. There's no money in it. That's exactly what I'm saying. The numbers don't work, not the concept doesn't work. Um, do you have the thing in your notes here for the show called imposter syndrome? I love right. the sound of that. What do you mean by it, and how do people get the hell past it? Well, I think what most normal, decent humans are going to feel when you start putting out a course, uh, you're going to start saying, you know, who am I to tell somebody else something? Um, you know, you feel like, Maybe you're getting away with something or you're, or, or you feel guilty that you would receive money for doing this. And I see that happen all the time on the internet where people are putting out really good content and then they wind up dropping their channel because they've got to go work their job because they won't ask for money. Um, you know, you've got to overcome those beliefs and, uh, be willing to just put it out there. Um, if for example, you've potty trained a dog and you know you're not the best expert in the world, you know, you've got the dog whisperer, you know, on, on a, on a cable show, you know, who's making millions of dollars and he's perfect, knows everything. Well, you don't have to be that perfect person. You, all you've got to do is know more than the thousand people that are just starting out behind you and you can help them up to your level and maybe they move beyond. But you have to believe that you're giving value, and there's people that need that. So you can't feel like you're cheating somebody by charging for it. Um, and you also have to not, um, I don't know, I guess the flip side of the imposter syndrome is just dumping too much content where you, people want to know one thing, and then you dump a ton of stuff hoping to give value but you, you end up confusing everybody or losing people in the process because you don't feel like you're offering enough value. Sometimes what you think is simple and easy to do winds up being very valuable to other people. You know, I'm back to Tim Ferriss, and he, one of his things in that book was how to become an expert in 30 days. And what he meant was how to be identified as an expert in 30 days. And it was like you read three books on the subject by different authors from different viewpoints, and then it was like you do three talks and you try to make sure at least one of them is at a name of some place that people would recognize, even if you were out on the doorstep when you did it. And then you put that on your speaker's CV and all of a sudden you sound like a, an expert. There was some more to it than that, which is okay. And it's, 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 it's okay for marketing, but I like where you're going more with this because an expert is not just someone who knows more than you do. And there's plenty of people we call experts that have incredible credentials that not just know more than you, they know a lot more than you. 
An expert in this world is someone that has the ability to format that information so that you understand it and can act on it. And that's yep. what the key is. There's tons of people that know more than I do about how to train a dog, but I'm really good at actually getting you to understand how to train your dog, for instance. And that that is where the value in some sort of educational product lies. Like, I've seen some of these martial art courses where this guy spends half of his course demonstrating what a badass he is. Now, maybe you were born that way. It, 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 just because you're good doesn't mean you're going to make me good. If you can teach me how to do the things that I need to be able to do and how to train so that I can become better, if you're if you're not not anywhere near as good as the next trainer, but you're a better teacher, you're more useful to me, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And you have to realize that um, everybody identifies with people differently. So, for example, in my courses, I have some people like, I want my money back. I can't stand your stupid redneck accent. Okay. And then I have, then I have other students who say, um, I can't stand this other guy's stupid accent, and I love your stuff. So you can't be offended by that. The fact is that we each are going to identify with a different teacher, with a different style of presenting it, with a different method of teaching, uh, with different vocabulary words. Um, you know, so you know you could that could you could add that to infinity what people have a a preference or a pickiness over. But ultimately, you're going to bring value to somebody because you're going to wind up presenting the same topic that that super expert, he may not be able to reach those people that have the same heart that you do or you, that you present it in such a actionable way. Absolutely, man. So um, what about a person that kind of has this feeling, but they're not an expert? So why would anybody want to buy their product? Well, I mean, you need to be able to demonstrate that you're bringing value and you're you're accomplishing something. If you can give somebody the information they need to achieve an item or a task or learn a new skill, then you've done what you've set out to do. And any time you offer value, it's just reciprocity that someone returned value. So, you know, um, that's really it in a nutshell. You just have to be able to bring people up to where you are. Um, and, you know, somebody who has never had a dog before, for example, learning how to not get their carpet peed on is of value. And maybe they don't want to spend $100 for the, the super uh, hero expert in the field, but they can uh, purchase your material. Cool. And I think, again, I mean, if you're not an expert, become one. And, again, become one in the context of making people able to do things. So I think that actually in a lot of situations, someone who doesn't know how to do something has an advantage. Because when I do talks, like I did my talk at Mother Earth News Fair on hydroponics, and I was very honest with people down there that 60 days prior to that talk, the only thing I knew at, about hydroponics is what I had inferred from doing aquaponics, which was not much. I didn't, I hadn't done it but for a couple months. But it was one of the better presentations I ever gave because I absolutely wasn't above the heads of my audience. They were people that didn't know that wanted to learn how. Well, that's what I had spent 60 days teaching myself to do. And so I think that you actually, if you pick something that you're okay at, you have general knowledge of, you know some things about, you've been doing it, you've been through the struggles of getting off the ground, that's the best time to build your first product before you forget what you didn't know. So you build that product, right? 
now you have a market and you have people that appreciate you and they value you and they say, you know, Daniel taught me how to do this stuff. And then they say, I want to know how to do this other stuff that's a more advanced version thereof. Well, what's the best thing in the world you can do to grow your market? It's not make a completely new product for a completely new group of people and try to get more people. It's make a new product for your existing market that some segment of the customers you already have and are already getting will want too. That's like, you know, advanced level or second level or, you know, like you did a 101, now you do a 201 and a 301 and a 401. And if only 25% of people buy all the products, it's still easier to grow your revenue that way than four products to four totally different markets. And so if you build that foundation that way, long after, it's, it's weird, but you will forget how to make a beginner's product. When I try to do a show on something I've been doing for 10 years now, it's very hard for me to go, you have to pretend you don't know anything. <laughs> and you have to pretend you're learning as much as you can over the last two weeks. And what did you learn that let you start? It's very hard to dial it back. It's really easy for me to do kind of an entry-level show on a skill that I've just started to acquire or have only played around with a little bit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you're you're basically taking the hero's journey. Hey, this is this is the mountain I've climbed. This is this is the discovery I have. Let me help you up here. And as you teach those people below you, you wind up learning more than they do and you continue to grow and maybe you develop the greater product. You know, it's okay, go ahead and make crap 1.0, get it out there and then improve. You don't have to be perfect. Absolutely, man. Um so Once you find a topic to teach, how do you kind of like find a groove with it where you can really start to get this thing up and moving and get some momentum behind it? Well, um, you know, the biggest shortcut, period, would be an example of your podcast. Guests come on. You already have an audience, and by sharing something of value with your audience – then maybe some of those people want to come over to to this to buy site, for example, and they look at that. So you look for uh, uh, influencers on YouTube, you look for podcasts, and you find some way that you can participate in what they're doing and bring value to them. And in exchange, you you gain a little more uh, friendly of an audience to view what you're doing. Um, and then beyond that, you know, you, you've got paid advertising, you've got social groups of basic topics. You know, you can look on Facebook. And find, you know, related topics. Uh, you can put out articles. Um, you know, you do on your website, you do search engine optimization and there's plugins for that. But that takes six months to a year to get rolling. So really what you've got to do is you've got to get out there in front of the people. So that means, um, at the very least, it means placing ads that are so highly targeted with Google AdWords that it's popping up on top of just your competitors ads or very related subjects for people that are highly interested, and then managing that so that you're not spending too much money and you're only putting your money where you're getting a result. Got you, man. So um, let's talk about kind of finding uh, a way to rapidly develop that product. How, how do people actually go from I have this idea to I actually have a product and – We kind of talked about this in the beginning, but maybe a little bit more about how we test that product to see if it's going to work out for us. Right. Kind of like the saying, how do you eat a camel? <laughs> One bite at a time. So you start with an idea, and you need to outline it, uh, and you need to 
build a flow until you have your idea clearly presented. And with your idea clearly presented, now if you're starting from ground zero, you don't have an audience. So that means, like, for example, on YouTube, because they get 80% of the search traffic for the entire Internet, just start making little videos and giving helpful information or, or reviews, discussing things, but start drawing attention, and you have to get in the habit of producing a video at least every week, if not every day, so that the algorithm starts presenting you to other people. Beyond that, if you're going to test market an idea, the best way to do it is to just find the keywords. You do a keyword search with the Google AdWords tool. It's a free tool. You find what people are searching for, um, and you try to find the language they're using, and then you use those keywords so that when people are searching on Google or YouTube, they'll be presented with your ad. And then you're going to get a certain number of clicks, and you're going to, out of those clicks, you're going to get a lower percentage of people that will actually click through to the buy page, which might just simply be coming soon, sign up for my email list. And now that brings me to another very important point is building an email list. You need access to your customers because if you just depend upon subscribers to a YouTube channel or AdWords or Facebook, you know, those things with censorship going on these days, you could lose for no apparent reason. And you want to be able to reach out to the people without paying for more advertising. So um, often you could sit down, if it's something you're passionate about, just turn on your audio recorder and just tell your best friend all about this idea and what's going on and the details of it. And then have that transcribed uh, over at Fiverr or, or something, convert that to text, make a PDF. And this is just one example. I know it's kind of an old way of doing things, but, you know, make a PDF that people can sign up for and get free. Um, another way that you can draw in business, that which is probably the most helpful, but it takes more time, is to present your offer out there and say, but we're only presenting this to people who are qualified. Um and so you give a, you schedule a time to talk to them on the phone, and that's really great because then you can kind of pick their brain and look what they're wanting for. Uh, excuse me, look uh, look at what they're wanting, and whether you're doing that just in direct sales and or through a phone sales, then once you know what, you, what people are asking for, you specifically ask them the questions. Well, out of this product, what do you expect to get? And the information, the answers you get allow you to immediately go and tailor a course to fulfill their needs. And what you have when you do that is a very happy customer, and it also can create your product. Like if you're doing the instant start where you don't even have the product yet, you're literally doing your market research. You're getting these people on the email list, and you're talking to them, and then you go create the content that they're asking for. And that way you're not kind of swimming in, oh, I've got a – thousand ideas of what i could put in there instead you're taking your ideal customer and you're designing your product around them and the content that they want and if you don't have an answer for them it's quite possible you can reach out uh do a podcast or even pay someone for some of their time to do the presentation of that information that maybe you don't know and then you can roll that into your course so it's a very dynamic evolving process that allows you to quickly get a start and we kind of alluded to this, too, in the beginning, but there are some ways to maybe start making money before a product's finished, right? Absolutely. Um, for example, um, I have a little Survive and Thrive Blueprint course, which is something from my life. Again, I'm drawing on my experience, but a way that you can move completely off-grid and sustain yourself, you know, 
80 percent, you know, the 80-20 rule, but as quickly and cheaply as possible without all the massive preps. Well, the course isn't complete yet, but you can put an outline up there, and then you can sell the course at, for example, a 50 percent discount. And those customers that come in, they get a good deal, and you get some capital to then finish up your product as well as, again, the market research because you're talking to these people, finding out what it is that they really want to know. So you generate money right away. Um, and also, get used to the idea of monetizing your life. Um, you know, you do the uh, the affiliate links to Amazon. That's a great thing. If you're telling a friend about this awesome thing or they're asking a question, monetize your life. Don't just send them the link. Hop over into the affiliate program. Make a link and send it to them. It doesn't cost them anything, and you make a little bit of money. Why wouldn't you? Why would you pass up free money? And you can you can also do affiliate sales for other related products or just share things that you use. But get used to monetizing your entire life. Think how can I how can I monetize this? Because you know, a lot of um, people feel bad, you know, back to the imposter syndrome again. They feel bad about, you know, making money because somebody followed a link. Well you just have to get over that and you have to generate money any and every way that you can. Well, I, I would look at it this way too. Like, so there's a couple different ways. There's actually a thousand different ways to build something like an email list. An email list is customer base. Even if they've never bought from anything from you yet, they're a customer base. When one company buys another company, I'm talking big, you know, million, billion dollar companies, they're not buying that company's ability to make widgets. They're not buying that company's software. They're buying that customer's, that, that company's customer base. Any of the other stuff, you can get it somewhere else. Unless it's some sort of a patent on some sort of a thing that you can't actually build unless you own it, when you buy another company, you're buying their customer base. And that should be in all of our minds to you know, always reinforce how value that customer base is. Well, if I do lead generation by giving away a free PDF, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what I'm going to build is a fairly large list of people, a fairly large base of people that like to look at stuff. Some portion of them are going to be buyers. But if I build my initial list selling a 9.95 product, I'm building a list of buyers. There's a very big difference of the responsiveness in a group of lookers and a group, group of buyers. Now, that doesn't mean not to do the PDF thing, but what it does mean maybe is I start out doing a simple PDF thing. And then while I'm developing my $99 course, I develop my 9.95 low-level product. And I start moving people in my broad market into my, my list of lookers into my list of buyers. And I promise you targeted uh, uh, marketing to that second group will way outproduce targeted marketing to the first group. Then the other thing I'm doing, now I'm developing an upsell, downsell, cross-sell platform. So when I go start selling my um, my product, my, my, my $99 e-course, let's say, the first thing I actually do is, is I, I lead generate. So I put somebody in that PDF that I already have. I already built it in my early stages for lead generation. So I push them through there to sell to them. Once they get it, I say, hey, guess what? You can get this, you know, all of a sudden it was a $149 product for $99 right now. And if they say no, well, do you want this $9.95 product? And now I've created a funnel with multiple positive outcomes. And anytime you enter anywhere, I can take other parts of it and put it back in front of you, and you've given me your permission to communicate with you. So I'm making money up front. I'm building a customer base up front, but I'm also building a process funnel the entire time. And that 
that is not what most people do. And you can see it's not what most people do because they try to sell their thing. And if you say no, what do they do? Okay. Well, what <laughs> yeah, you exactly. want to be able to do is when they say no, go, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Hey, you should check us out on Instagram, if nothing else, and follow us there. Some way I want, you know, I heard a guy describe it one time a long time ago in like a marketing seminar. He was like, it's like there's people in a cave, and your job is to shoot them, and you're like Rambo. And you've got like a machine gun and a bazooka and a grenade, and you're like, and all of a sudden you hear, I got one. Right? Like that's, that's the way you got to look at it. You just keep mass spread shooting until somebody falls over, and then you, you drag them out and throw them in the heap. And then, then that heap is what you put most of your real marketing to. I know that sounds kind of brutal, but it's just an analogy, and it's just to get the mind in the right place. Right, and you'll also, as you're building an email list, you create an automated mailing list so that you're in regular contact with them and they get used to hearing from them. You try to give them valuable information. You can make offers, and like you said, you can upsell, you can downsell, and that that's a much more responsive market because um, most likely if, they, if they've bought something from you in the past, they're much more likely to buy something from you in the future. So you build that list. Uh, if you haven't got an ebook, even, you can do webinars like, hey, Enter your email address, and I'll send you a link to a live webinar, and we can just talk. And I've even seen people build products like that. They will literally just get on webinars with people with no real plan and just talk to people. And then they have you know their library of information, so they'll screen share. They'll pop up pictures and videos, and they'll teach people that way. And that actually becomes like a low-dollar, bottom-level, entry-level course, for example, that gets sold to other people later. Um, And... The more you can offer, the more ways you can find to sell something, the better. And really, the email list is still one of the most important ways for a lot of businesses to get going. And you don't want to neglect that either. Always be improving, always be adding to that list uh, the content. And then once you're up and running and you've got something that's making money and you see the whole process and what's working, now you go back to the beginning of those first emails, and you go through and you update everything to make it more relevant and more to the point. Um, and also in that, you'll see that some people are just going to respond to certain things better than others. So, you know, you want to put some tracking in there and watch your numbers. Are they are they getting your ebook? Are they just signing up for your email list? Um, a lot of people uh, just really want to hear more. And also, don't forget, in a world where the Internet is it's kind of like everybody wants to just give everything away for free and they feel guilty about asking for money, sometimes one of the best things you can do to drive people in is say, no, you can't have it. By saying no, now you actually got attention. Um, so, you know, it's odd, but it's true. You can say, like we're saying with the calls, no, you can't just have this. You need to qualify yourself and um, that that just or you know it's it's odd too. Sometimes you can just literally just by saying the word stop, and you put a pause in there. It like interrupts the process of what they're doing long enough to actually consider the offer. But you always want to be generating leads because that's what it's all about is your traffic. You can set up a lemonade stand in the middle of a suburb at the end of a dead end street, but nobody knows you're there. You've got to bring them in to look at your offers. And once you've got them, then you keep making additional offers. All right, I agree with that too. And I think like the other rule I always have is you got to you got to give before you take. So I've always been a big fan of the concept of I want to touch you somewhere between four and seven times with content that is free 
before I ask you for money. Now, I don't mean before I ever ask you for money. I mean, once you go into my email list, once I've gotten you in there some way, I fired all the shots at the cave and you fell over and I dragged you out through you in the pile. So now I've got you in the pile. Once you're in that pile, I want to sort you. Like, if you already bought my $99 course, I don't want to keep hitting you with buy my $99 course because you already did that. But whatever I'm hitting you with, I want to be like, you know, here's here's you know a 10-day um, drip campaign that's how to get yourself up and running or whatever before I ask you for another penny. Even if you don't read it, if, as long as you don't unsubscribe, I've become a source of information. And a lot of times, I'm sure you get emails, you're like, I'm actually interested in this. I just don't have time today. And you kind of maybe put it in another folder for follow-up or something. You never get to it, but you remember where it came from. And then one day, you know, you happen to get something that asks you for money or tries to sell you something, and it's from that same source. And you're like, you may or may not buy it, but you know what you're not thinking? You're not thinking this parasite just wants my money. You're thinking, oh, that's from so-and-so, and I really like what they do, and I don't want to buy this right now, or I do want to buy this right now, or maybe later or whatever. But you have a positive viewpoint because that is a source of value versus a source of trying to take your money from you. Yeah, you want to provide real value in these emails, and like you said, touch them seven to eight times. That really is a minimum. You want to send seven to eight emails without asking for anything and be as helpful and useful and informative as you can, give as much value as you can, and then from then on, continue to present that value, but then always be closing, always be selling. You know, in other words, um, shape the, the email to, you know, highlight, for example, a problem that you have a solution for and then make an offer and make a call to action. I know that sounds funny, but um, when you tell people to take an action, the action goes up substantially. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's funny. We used to say that if you ask people to do something, sometimes they'll do it. <laughs> and they tend not to do it if you don't ask them to do it for sure. Um, you know, if you are interested in something, odds are there's, you know, tens of thousands of other people out there that are interested in it too. That's what I've talked about. Like, there actually is no reason not to follow your passion or at least do things that you love or things, you know, do things that you actually believe in or, or want to, you want to work with because there's got to be people out there that, that, that care, right? That, that are, that are, are part of, that, that care about the same things you do. The odds that you're the only person that cares pretty low in a world with billions of people and, and billions connected. What are some ways you can think of to find those people, though? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, first of all, look around your own life. What are the needs that you're saying? Well, I wish there, I could do this or I wish I could do that. Uh, listen to the people around you. And then, of course, online and communities um, along related subjects, often you'll start hearing reoccurring themes of a problem or a lack or, or something um, if you're selling a physical product, a lot of times you can find the solution to finding those people um, by looking at the comments. Like there was, I don't even remember where I heard this example, but you know there was a, uh, a, a respirator or oxygen concentrator product that a lot of the elderly were carrying. They're like, "Oh, my arms are worn out," you know. So someone else like, "Hey, let's put a light battery in there and just sell that crowd looking for light batteries." Uh, basically. Since it's the internet, you're kind of looking for the terminology that they use to to find the solution for what they're looking for. So really, um, it's amazing what you can sell. I mean, almost anything you can imagine, 
you can find a use for and you can present it in a way that's going to solve somebody's problem. So that's really ultimately what you're doing is you're solving problems and you're giving solutions. And so, you know, finding that crowd is really just being alert to it. Always be paying attention to what's going on around you and online and, and spend time reading forums and looking at videos in the related niches or topics. And you'll often find very quickly the terminology you need that you can put some paid advertising into or create a blog for or create a video series for uh, that will draw in those people. Absolutely. So what is your thought about, let's say, what you would call value-based marketing versus paid advertising? Yeah, again, you, you really want to give the value. The, the paid advertising honestly has pretty low returns and it's getting lower all the time. Um, and unless, of course, you're super hyper specific and you're really good with your keywords. So your value based marketing really is something like giving away the PDF or giving away a little bit of your time to consult or talk with someone, um, or offering a free sample of a product. Um, you know, you just have to ask for your for your niche, what you're doing, how can you give value to people? I mean, I know I know it's like really popular everywhere you go. Somebody's like, sign up for my list, get a free ebook, blah blah blah. But um, you really do need to find a way to bring value to people. Um, and then one of the biggest ways I found to bring value is to do webinars where they can just literally just come talk to you. Like you said, you present yourself as the expert. Um, Preferably, you do know something about it, and you're not just trying to pull one over on somebody, but you can actually give them value. And some of the greatest value is just that one-on-one touch with them. And sometimes that's just email. You'd be surprised how many people actually believe the automated email list is a personal email that I sent out to them. Uh, and they really value that little personal touch and that connection. And even that, just that good feeling is a value. So you got to think of value beyond just money as well. You got to think of, you know, how do you improve someone's life? How do you help them have a better day? Uh, how do you help them solve a problem? You know, value comes in many forms. And so you, you, you give that value up front and then eventually you begin to ask for things or offer, uh, something of more value, but for a fee, of course. Awesome, man. So, um, how how would someone go about really differentiating themselves or getting people to kind of listen to them versus a competitor here? Because if we do go into a market that's fairly large, there's probably lots of e-courses and you know products that are informational in that world. What is the thing that makes someone listen to you versus all your competitors? Well, first of all, uh, you're going you're to present things and understand and explain things in a way that will resonate with a certain group of people. Uh, secondly, I would say go into your competitors and look in the review section. Read every review, especially the three-star and under reviews yeah. on everything you can find, and you'll see an emergence of, of something they're not doing right. And then you can either use that against the competitor directly by using the dissatisfaction of their customers on an ad placed on top of their sales uh, pages and videos, or you can uh, use that to say, hey, unlike these other guys, we're doing this and we're doing it better. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think, for instance, in a totally different world, the, the, the concept of like workshops, you know, on-site workshops like we do here at my, my farm. One of the things I did is I went to a lot of other 
you know, like bushcrafting, outdoors, permaculture workshops. And when I went, I didn't go to be a dick about it, but I kind of went with the attitude of let me figure out all the stuff that as a paying customer, even if I got to go for free for promoting it, if I paid for this, what would I be pissed off about? What would I be like, that shouldn't have been that way? And then let me build my product and make sure that stuff just never, ever, ever under any circumstances happens to my customers. And if it does, that I am in front of it, on top of it, and apologizing for it before they're pissed off about it. And I think that's why we've built something that I think we've done like 25 workshops now in seven years. And we've sold out all but one. And like 60% of the people that come spend, you know, half a week or a better part of a week here are repeat customers. And it's directly because of that. So I would go as far as to say, as long as you're not talking about $1,000 courses or something, buying a few of the ones that look like the best, taking them yourself and saying, here's all the holes. Here's all the stuff that I am unhappy about. And I'm going to make sure my course doesn't have those problems. And if you add to it, you know, if you can get, you know, honest reviews, real world critiques, and you put those together, you can build a product that's just a better product. And I, I know that formula works. We've done it with other courses with other people that I've, I've helped build courses and stuff. And it's one of those places it might be the best money you spend is actually buying a couple competing, competing courses and really putting them through the rigmarole. And they don't be a plagiarizer, but, you know, I mean, you do learn things from it. You learn what works and what doesn't work. Absolutely. Um, that's a great way to go. And not only do you look for reviews, but usually while you're taking one of these courses, they often have some kind of community aspect and you can talk to the other people. And I'm sure some of you've noticed that on the Internet, people love to be negative and chime in on something negative. So if you point out those issues, which could actually help the person who you're taking the course under improve if they choose to. But it also gives all the other community there a chance to chime in on the negative things, and it just starts flowing out, and you can see where everyone else is seeing a shortcoming, and you can rise to the occasion with a solution, with a value to bring. Absolutely, man. So um, what do you think about kind of building like fan-based support versus like product-based income, and, and which, which way is better to go about that? Yeah, you know, if you're a content producer, I know a lot of people, they, they love to uh, use Patreon and such uh, services to get people to just donate money. Um, and that seems to work for a lot of people. Um, I'm of the personal mindset that I actually want to, uh, you know, like selling a product, you're giving them something, uh, they're learning something. If it's a service like entertainment or uh, feeling goods, about, you know, uh, telling jokes or um, just whatever it happens to be, then, you know, a, a fan base model is very effective, but it actually takes longer to build up a good fan base. For example, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but you find your thousand true fans and you just you sell them a T-shirt every quarter and you make $60,000. Well, that that's an example of being supported by followers who just love what you're doing. There's always going to be people who kind of fall on the cult bandwagon and um, that develops over time. But depending on that, when you're starting a business is a bit shaky. Whereas if you have a product, you can get out there and, and when you find what's working, you can kind of scale it and you can increase your income. You can improve it. You can make more offers. 
So in my opinion, it stands a greater chance of generating a greater income. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what does it mean to you to find a specific dish market? We've talked about that quite a bit, but what does that mean for you? Well, you have to find an under or unserved area uh, of a market or something that's totally new. Um, and, of course, you know, to make multi-millions of dollars, you've, you've got to be the guy who makes click funnels when everyone else is trying to figure out how do I make my email program automatically email a bunch of people. Um, how do I put together marketing funnels for people that don't understand what they are and just have a package where you just you just fill it out and it's kind of done for you? Otherwise, um, you've got to find just areas that are being underserved uh, or areas that you can do better and solve problems in. Um, you know, look at the look at the uh, the self help and growth industry. I mean, it's just it's just a, a behemoth, and yet people get in there and they do these little niche products um, that focus on just one aspect of something, and it's often something that everyone else overlooks. But yet they, they can build an entire industry around this idea. You know, again, kind of like the weight loss for belly fat on men over 40. Okay. That's very specific versus your, your broad weight loss market where, you know, nobody's knows anything. There's too many offers, but people have a very specific issue they want to solve. And you're trying to fill that niche and you can, you can find those in a lot of ways. But again, you know, it's about finding something that, you know, if, if there's too much competition, you're just not really going to get in there. I mean, you don't want to get into the situation where you're just trying to spend money against someone else's money to just play the odds of getting that one or 2% conversion. You want to find something where you can actually offer value basically without the competition. You want to find your unfair advantage that you can bring. Um, and one unfair advantage of, for example, doing a small business versus someone like Tony Robinson is you could actually hop on a Skype call with somebody and talk with your customer. He can't do that. Um, and so very often your level of customer service can be a niche that no one else can fulfill. Um, a lot of other companies, they have a lot of hired help, and, and you talk to people, and I'm sure you've called people and you're asking and the people you talk to they don't even really know the answer or they give you a generic answer that clearly demonstrates they don't care or understand where you're at yeah exactly if i wanted to cut and paste the faq section of your website i could have done that for myself (laughs) exactly so you know that that a niche is a niche it's it's a self-defining thing just you have to really find a way to get in there on a specific thing um you know there's so many examples of that, um, but you have to find something preferably related to something you love to do and find that underserved market somewhere that you can bring value. And just like you said, you know, go attend events and find out what really makes you mad about it and make sure that doesn't happen. And there, there in, in, you've created your own community. You've created your own niche products that they're serving that. And you'll also be creating that following of loyal followers who may choose to donate on a regular basis. Or if you start to offer a subscription to multiple things you do, they may do that just to support what you're doing. You know, I think it's a big part of it is like finding your superpower and what you want to do with it. So like you mentioned, Tony Robbins can't get on a Skype call with you individually. Well, he can. He's just going to charge you $10,000 to do it for two hours. 
Now, whether or not he wants to do that or not is a direct reflection on, you know, how many people are willing to do it and how much of his life he has to give up to do it and how how it's going to work out in the end. But, you know, he can do that. Uh, an example would be if I started Jack's Safaris hunting in South Texas and I went and bought a ranch and said, you know what, screw this. I'm only doing the podcast two days a week and I'm going to run my ranch. Uh, you can only have so many people come hunt that ranch. I'm only doing so many other things. So it could basically be when you come hunt Jack's ranch, Jack's there with you and hangs out with you when you hunt. I can do that. Ted uh, Ted Nugent has a ranch in South Texas called Sunrise Safaris. He does the exact same thing, but Ted Nugent has other stuff to be doing, like concerts all over the world or what have you. So he only does the whole thing where he hangs out and hunts with you like twice a year. Now, I got an email so that I could go hunt with Ted Nugent. I was interested. And when I found out it was $12,000 to do a hunt that would normally cost me $2,000, I stopped being interested. But that doesn't matter. All that matters is that there are some people that will spend that twelve grand to go hang out with Ted Nugent for a week and shoot a, you know, a, an axis deer or whatever. And yeah. you know, I thought about it. I just didn't think about it very hard for very long. Um, but that's an example of two guys that are really big that can do what you're talking about. They just charge a lot of money for it to limit the response. And on the other side, someone can can be very very responsive all the time if that's really kind of their main bread and butter and what they do. And they can build not just a thousand true fans, but a couple hundred super fans to go with it. Right. Because there's going to be that guy who's like, Oh, 12,000, no problem done. Yeah. And yeah. don't forget whatever you're offering. Okay. You got the free PDF, you got the video course, you got the advanced course. Maybe you sell a course where you got some webinar time and then maybe you just literally go out to a resort and do that one-on-one, you know, always have that high ticket offer version of the same thing because some people can read the text. Oh, I got this. And then other people are like, well, I would really feel more confident if I watched the video course. And then there's going to be people that's like, well, I really need to get my hands on this and do it. And I want somebody there beside me to make sure I'm doing it right. So there's all these different levels that you can serve and price in at that is going to be filled by the people that have that specific need. You know, some people are going to want to read the dog training book. Some people are going to want to watch the video course. Other people are like, man, I've got a job. I've got a life. Come train my dog for me. So, you know, you make those offers. And if nothing else, people hate to be sold, but they love the shop. So when you've got three and four choices, you know, people can kind of choose, you know, where do they feel comfortable buying in? You know, because and then be, be sure you want to say yes, no matter how much money you can get for it. Like I get people all the time want me to consult on their business, and I'm like, I don't do that. And I've had people push me like, well, just give me a number. And finally, I'm like, okay, well, I have to do it on site. You have to pay all my expenses, and it's $10,000 a day with a four-day minimum because that's how long I need to minimally understand your business. Then I'm going to give you a two-page recommendation of what you should be doing. I'm going to walk away, and if you don't do it, it's not my problem. And every time I've said that, it's only been a couple times I've actually been pushed far enough to do it. I'm thinking, don't say yes, don't say yes, don't say yes. I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I did it. And the minute somebody says yes, it's going to $20,000 a day because I don't <laughs> want to do it. Yeah. Because I know that no matter how hard I work on it, from my from the years that I did that type of consulting, that most companies won't actually do what you recommend, and I'm just not comfortable taking somebody's money when I know already that's going to be the case. And that most of what I'm going to tell you is already out there in the open air for free from me if you'll go gather it and use it. Um, and so be be willing to take all that money, but also... Like, you're building a lifestyle business, so build the lifestyle that you want to go with it 
And if, if doing something makes you miserable, don't do that. You know, just find another way to capitalize on it. Um, because I just, I, I, I can't go in that place. I don't want to go in that place. And sooner or later, somebody's going to throw enough money at me to get me to do it once. And I, I don't know how much money that really is. Cause I don't want to <laughs> do it. Um, Let's talk a little bit here. We, we wrap up though about optimizing your content, your website, your marketing. What, what are some tips on optimizing things? Well, if you're doing it yourself, of course, you know if you're using WordPress, you get Yoast uh, SEO. Make sure your your basic structure of your language and and your keywords are all in place. Uh, when you put videos on YouTube, make sure you've got your keywords in there and, and check those keywords. Um, there's uh, Uber Suggest uh, is a website where you can type in a keyword and it'll like give you everything on the internet related to that. And sometimes you need to optimize your keywords. Um, search engines like to see you doing regular content, new updates on there. Um, you also need to really pay attention to what's going on. Um, and when you have something that's working, like uh, that's converting well, uh, like with Thrive Themes, you can do an A/B test. And you make a new version, uh, and then see which one's actually performing better. If you're doing something and it's not working, don't keep doing it. You know, that's just stupid. Find, find what works and improve upon it. Uh, in other words, uh, look at what you're doing, improve and change it and just, and then go back, measure the results, see where you can improve and change it. And it, it seems like a, a lot, and it can be overwhelming all at once, but as long as you keep that process of as each little piece is coming to your attention, uh, you know, see where people are clicking in and buying, see how they're responding better, and do more of what works. And don't, don't, uh, don't ever, uh, on your ad spend, don't ever just take the default models that they give you because all they're going to do is maximize the spending of your money, and it's not to your interest. So track everything. Uh, and always be monitoring how what you do affects the bottom line because ultimately that's your real measurement of success is how many sales are you going to making. And also, if you're marketing something and you're getting an incredibly high refund rate, uh, you really got to go back and look at that too. You're not you're not delivering what you're saying, or there's something there's a disconnect there. There's something going on. So again, take an action, measure the results make improvements, and return back to measuring the action. And it's really just a process of that. You know, honestly, like marketing funnels, a lot of people, they sell these ridiculously expensive courses on marketing funnels. Well, a marketing funnel is nothing more than how are you driving traffic, collecting their email, what content are you sending them, and how can they buy your product? I mean, it can be as simple as an email list and a single web page and an ad campaign. Awesome, man. So as we wrap up here, you've spent a lot of time helping people figure out what to do from the standpoint of developing their own content, picking a niche, and marketing it. Tell us a little bit about yours. Tell us a little bit about your website and the things that you're selling on your site and where people can find it. All right. Well, you can find us at tinygiantlife.biz. And, of course, um, we have a 10% discount for your listeners. Uh, um, All you got to do is type in all caps TSP in the discount box. And um, what we do is we started out teaching people how to build their own houses, and we got off on a track of teaching people how specifically to inflate aircrete to be insulating. So we have an introductory video product where you can learn how to make aircrete, cast blocks, make a dome. Uh, we've got a, a the Survive and Thrive product that's in pre-release right now. 
to help people that want to just literally check out and be off grid. There seems to be a, a growing interest in that. And then we have a video course where people, it's kind of like a mid-range price point where you can watch a video course that shows you how to hook up an electric wire, how to make, how to level the dirt, how to put down your foundation, wire your house, build your solar system, assemble your battery packs, you know, just everything that goes into actually having a move-in ready, finished off-grid, uh, tiny cabin or bug out location. Um, and then on the high ticket sales, we offer workshops where people can come out to either our Trilingua site or our Tyler site, and they can actually get hands-on experience building what they want to. And then at perhaps a little bit more of a premium, we have customized learning where people come and pay by the day and tell me what it is they want to learn. Because ultimately, it's not about a specific building material like air creed or dirt it's about getting people into their own homes where they can live debt free where they can live a retirement lifestyle early or you know there's just a whole lot of people contacting me that you know they've lived in the city they're tired of the noise the crime the pollution the police uh and they just want a more peaceful more simplified life so they're selling their homes they're, they want to move off grid and so that's when they come out and they take these little one-on-one customized courses so that's basically what we're doing. We're just educating people. We're helping them be able to build their own homes and do so without debt. And, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Well, dude, I appreciate you being with us today, man, and sharing all this with us. I hope it gets people thinking in the right direction. And I, I just kind of want to point out here at the end, I'm sure you'd reinforce it. This is a great time to be doing this because, it, you know, no matter how quickly you can spin this up, this does take time. And there's going to be a lot of people looking for different choices in their life going forward. And no matter what that is, that means learning something new. And that's the type of product that you were talking about today. It doesn't really matter what niche it's in. You have your niche. There's a billion niches out there to go into. And this should just be a great time to get started on this. Absolutely. It is the best time ever. And with this little... uh the little uh, epidemic we've had and when China's not shipping any more goods and, you know, maybe a lot of these little dropship ordering things are going to fall back. And in this age of information, this is going to continue to grow. Now is a great time while people have felt a little bit of pain and they're looking around, they're kind of waking up from their slumber a little bit like, huh, what was that? You know, now you can begin to build businesses and people can begin to look for alternatives to just make their life better. So maybe you have that solution. Maybe you can help somebody achieve that. Maybe you have the magic product that's not available from China anymore. Absolutely, man. Well, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Again, I'll make sure all of uh, your resources are in the show notes today. Well, great stuff there from Daniel Allen, and uh, I really do recommend you check out his website and what have you. And, again, I'll have everything you guys need to be able to do that in the show notes today. With that, let's talk about a couple of different ways you can help support this show and the work that we do. One is to become a member of the site. If you become a member of my member support brigade, you will get a bunch of discounts. And if you use you know, a handful of those discounts every year, whatever money you gave me, you'll get back. So it costs you nothing. However, if you use more than a handful... You'll make money at my expense by being a member, which works out just fine for me, and I'm okay with it because it doesn't cost me anything if you do that. That's why I built the program the way that I did. So do consider becoming a member. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. Now, here's the thing. Everything I just said is true if you pay the full price of $50 a year to be a member. But while this COVID lockdown is going on, until such time as a national recommendation for lockdown is removed, 
I'm selling it for half price. That's $25 a year. And yes, it applies to recurring. The discount code to get that special rate is amazingly $25. Bucks. $25 because it costs $25. And that's the numbers 2 and 5 in the word bucks. All is one word with all lowercase. Two five bucks will get you $25 off the membership. Occasionally I hear from people, it didn't work. Hey, if it doesn't work, email me, jackofthesurvivalpodcast.com. Make sure TSPC in the subject line. Eventually I'll find your email and dig it out of the spam folder as long as you put the TSPC in the subject line. And I will help you get signed up. When I make a commitment to a price, I always honor it. That's a business tip on top of the business tips you got today. Today's item of the day, if you want to help support us just by doing your online shopping at TSPAZ or TSPAZ.com, is the Winchester 51-piece gunsmith screwdriver set. This thing's 16 bucks. It has a ton of different little bits. And the first time you use one that's not either a Phillips or a straight screwdriver and you needed it and wouldn't have had it otherwise... You're going to be like, that's the best 16 bucks I ever spent in my life. Now, it's not a high-end toolkit, but it's a good toolkit. I've never had one like slip a handle or uh, one of the bits strip when it shouldn't or something like that. It's a good little toolkit. I keep one in my range bag for my guns, and that's kind of how it's marketed since it's from Winchester. But I've got one in my tackle box for my, my fishing. I've got one in the, the, the glove box of my truck. I've got one in the glove box of my boat. Uh, it's, I've got an extra one out in my shop because all of a sudden you need this one weird little freaking bit that you don't have. And, 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 you know, most of them aren't going to be in there for your smaller sizes anyway. Totally worth 16 bucks. Makes a great gift as well. Check it out. The Winchester 51 piece gunsmith screwdriver set. And remember, you can always help us out no matter what you buy. All you got to do is when you're going to shop online, start at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. With that, um, let's get to our song of the day. Again, this is five songs by Jimmy Buffett Week that you probably, and I say probably to hedge my butt there, never heard. This would probably be the most well-known one of the week. I don't think I ever played it for you before, so you probably still didn't hear it unless you're as big a Jimmy Buffett fan as me. Um, it's called Treat Her Like a Lady. And in in this song, the lady he started, the, the the her he's talking about treating like a lady is the ocean itself, the sea. But it's a really deep song that goes deeper than that. It, for instance, in one part of this song, it talks about the whales. And as he relates to the plight of the whales, he also says that he is in danger of extinction too. He himself, Jimmy, is in danger of extinction, too. Now, what he's, is he talking about? Is this some kind of grand, you know, green world thing that humans are in danger of extinction? He's not talking about that at all. And I promise you he's not talking about from how, how long ago this song is. Um, he's talking about the type of person that he is. The person who is kind of the old man when they're young. The person that sees life as an adventure. The person who's willing to get on a ship and just see where it goes. The true explorer is in danger of extinction in our modern world. It, it, and it's crazy, too. And it, I mean, this song was written, I think, in 78. I think that's when it was written, 78. It was written in the 70s. It might have been released in the early 80s, but it was, released, it was written in the 70s. And, you know, we're now in a world where you can explore from your own home. You can... You can look inside the pyramids from a computer screen. And you would think that that would actually encourage more adventure in the world. That if you looked at enough things through your screen, you'd eventually say, some of these things 
I want to go see for real. And I think there is some sense of adventure that's still there, but the type of adventurer he's talking about, the one that will make their life an adventure, the one that won't forget, when it was from another one of his songs, when it was the captain and the kid, and the tales of adventure from the grandfather who sailed the world, and still want to be that way. The world I grew up in, where little boys, like when I was a little kid, one of the biggest things kids wanted to be when they grew up was an astronaut. Step on the face of, a, of the moon or Mars. That that is in danger of extinction. That doesn't mean it's gone. That doesn't mean it will go extinct. But it's in danger of extinction because we have been so conditioned to follow rather than lead. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Some of us sailors call her home She's big and she's strong and she's mighty Some of us sailors call her our own Yes, that's the reason why I treat her like a lady Just treat her like a lady Now I don't like the sound of the ground moving round Or wind spinning out of control California earthquakes only seem to make me shake, rattle and roll Treat her.